Now, we're going to continue. Actually, we're right smack dab in the middle of a uh, five-part series of messages having to do with our church's vision. And I know right there what I just said may sound as though we're talking about ourselves and that this is sort of inward focused. You're going to find out right away that that's not the case. As we consider the things that God has given us to focus on becoming, that's what vision is, it is not for us. It's not about us. You know, last night, uh, Sue and I, we were watching a, a video, a DVD, and it was about two hours. We got to the end of it, and I needed to go bathe. You know, I, I do that from time to time, believe it or not, and uh, it's kind of important uh, before I come here and hug all of you on Sunday morning that we deal with some of that. So anyway, I, I turned everything off, and I got up to go do my thing, and she's like, what if I wanted to watch something else? And I actually said this. I said, well, it's not about you. <laughs> she still loves me. I don't know why, but she does. But when we're talking about vision, it, it is about the things that God is doing in us and where he's, uh, what he's taking us towards in terms of becoming. But ultimately, it's about those who do not yet know him. And how we can be as a congregation more useful to him in populating heaven. So this is not about us. It's about what God is, how God wants to use us in the lives of others. And Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 says this. Write the vision and make it plain that he may run who reads it. God did not intend for us to sort of just meander aimlessly through life. And that's, if you have uh, any experience with that kind of living you know it's not satisfactory it doesn't it doesn't fulfill and God meant for us to be people who are in pursuit of concrete substantial things that God has given us of of uh, clarity about where he's taking us so that every day that we live is filled with purpose and meaning and we are on mission for God that's the way he meant for life to be lived not just a drift, but with a clear vision that we are in pursuit of every moment. And so we as a congregation, we periodically, I schedule it about every 18 months or so. This time it's about two years later after the last time we did this. I come back to these things with you all because vision has a tendency to leak. It has a we have a tendency to sort of loose, loosen our grip on the things uh, that have to do with our vision, mission, and calling. And so we just every once in a while need to come back and re-grip those things together so that we remain true to what God is um, leading us toward. So that's what we're doing in these days. And I'm going to put on the screens right now our mission statement. I've already said this several times, but I'll say it again. There's nothing particularly sacred about these words. They're just my attempt to try to capture something of what I felt like the Lord was uh, speaking over this congregation years ago when Sue and I uh, became the pastors in terms of what he intends for us to be about. I believe the Lord wants for this church to become a comfortable place to seek, a dynamic place to worship, we talked about that last week. A caring place to heal, which is what we're going to focus on today. A solid place to grow and a joyful place to serve. 
And those five descriptive terms, comfortable, dynamic, caring, solid, and joyful, are the things that I want to stay and you want to stay, we want to stay focused on together. We want the Lord to make these things true of us, that Crossroads Foursquare Church is comfortable and dynamic, caring, solid, and joyful. Let's talk about the third of those things today, a caring place to heal. Now, I want to take you to uh, Isaiah 53, as I've mentioned, to talk about a theology of healing. If we're going to be a congregation of, of people through whom God is ministering healing to others. And by the way, how many of you would raise your hand, and I mean, I don't, you know, be honest with me about this. How many of you would raise your hand to say, I have received healing, spiritual, emotional, or physical healing through the ministry of this church? So nearly all of us, my hand is up there too. There are lots of people in this world who are experiencing brokenness in various parts of their life that need to be able to one day say the same thing. And not about crossroads so much, but about Jesus. Jesus healed me. And so, if we're going to be that, if we're going to be that kind of people, we kind of need to know a little bit about how God thinks about healing. And so that's what we're doing right now as we look at Isaiah 53. We're looking at what God has to say about how he describes, defines, carries out, applies healing. Beginning at verse th uh, 4 of that chapter. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Griefs in the original Hebrew means sicknesses, sorrows, the word translated as into English as sorrows from the Hebrew, that original word means pains, pains. He, talking about Jesus, the prophet Isaiah is looking forward to the coming of Messiah, okay? Hundreds, he's writing this hundreds of years before Jesus came. He's looking forward under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the coming of Messiah and he says, he, Jesus, will bear he will shoulder, he will come under the weight of our sicknesses and our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That simply means that you know, people didn't quite get it. When Jesus was ministering, they didn't quite understand what he was doing, the magnitude of what he was doing as he moved among us. Even today, that's the case for lots of people. But he was wounded or pierced through for our transgressions, which means rebellion. He was bruised or crushed, beaten for our iniquities or our sins, the things that we do because we are in rebellion against God. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Uh, I want to take you through this a, a little bit uh, with a little closer view um, so that we can make sure that as we move on to talk about an environment of healing, we know what we're talking about. So when it says that Jesus bore our, came under, shouldered, our sicknesses and pains, he wasn't just talking about our physical infirmities. How many of you know there's more than one way to be sick or broken? You can be, in fact, 
some of the most severe pain that people feel or experience is emotional. You can be sick, you can be broken, you can be diseased in your spirit, your soul, and your body. And that brings me to this point, that you and I are more than our skin and bones. Thank God. Every time I look in the mirror, I thank God for that. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I am astounded every time I look in the mirror. I'm still thinking that this 16-year-old, long-haired, skinny kid is going to be looking back at me. <laughs> and he doesn't exist anymore. You know, yesterday, I was telling you, I, we were, Sue and I are watching this DVD. Our DVD player is on the floor. So Sue's in the kitchen, which is, you know, it's open to the area where I was at. I got down to, you know, put that disc in there. And I'm groaning. I didn't realize it. I'm groaning and, <laughs> you know, Oh, ow, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And she starts laughing at me. <laughs> you know, every joint is popping and screaming at me. And, you know, that's the stage of life I'm in. So, I, all that to say is I'm very grateful that this is not all that's me. In fact, it's very little of who I really am. Same is true for you. It's a part. I am, I, I do have a body. But the real me, the real you, is a spiritual person. A spiritual being, a spirit. The Bible says that you and I are spirit, soul, and body. The spirit, your spirit, the real you, is the eternal you. The one that will live forever. The one that will be with God forever. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your intellect, your emotions, your will, your decision-making part of you that is your soul so you are a spirit you have a soul you're clothed with a body but uh, brokenness can approach every aspect of who you are and so when we're told that Jesus shouldered our sicknesses and our pains we're being told that he took care of it all and then, and then he describes, uh, the prophet Isaiah describes how that works. There wasn't anything about the suffering of Jesus that was just for the heck of it. Everything was prescribed. Everything was purposeful. It says that he was pierced through for my rebellion, for your rebellion. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's what's been going on with human beings ever since. I don't care about you, God. I don't, I want to do my own thing. That rebellion, Jesus was pierced through to pay for it, to cover the sickness of spirit that the human race is under, the brokenness of our spiritual life, the disconnection of us from Almighty God that rebellion introduced. And it goes on to say, in, along with the piercing of the Lord that was for our rebellion. It says that he was beaten or crushed or bruised for my sins. The things that I do because I'm in rebellion against God. Jesus covered that too. It says that the chastisement or literally the accusations for my peace were upon him. Now you know your soul, most of the time the, the brokenness of your soul has uh, to do with a lack of peace. 
And that lack of peace comes almost always from the accusations of the one the Bible describes as the accuser of the brethren. The one who is always trying to convince you of how you are not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not enough. The fear that it introduces, the insecurity and unsettledness that those accusations of our opposition, uh, the devil, poses to us, the temptation towards embracing all of that, that accusation is what causes so much turmoil in the souls of people. That's why Jesus, like a lamb before her shears is dumb, took all of that false accusation as they lined up one after another to say everything false about him. He took that for you. So that today you could know the peace of soul. The healing of soul that he meant for you to have. And that wasn't enough. It says here that he went to that place where they took that that whip and tore the flesh off his back on purpose that you could have physical healing. Physical healing could be made available to us as well. So he would have the authority to dispense healing to sick bodies. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing God we have. What a loving God we have who was unwilling to leave us in our brokenness, but has made possible wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Now, I'm gonna give you, in about 30 seconds, a whole uh, semester theology course on healing. You ready? You blink, you'll miss it. Healing is needed. Healing is available. Healing is for the whole person. Write that down. That's your seminary course right there. <laughs> it's amazing how, how people argue about these things when it's so simple. And that's how God thinks about healing. That's God, how God thinks about you and his desires for you and for those who need him this morning. Now I want to talk to you about an environment of healing. How does that desire of God get dispensed through the church? Look at James. James is a little tiny book back in the weeds in the Old Te uh, New Testament. And uh, if you're not uncertain or you don't have a, uh, an electronic Bible, go to the table of contents. That'll get you right there. James, chapter 5. I want to start reading at verse 13. <clears throat> Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, just give me a minute to get through these slides that I've been forgetting to, 
to change. So we've talked about a theology of healing, that healing is needed, healing is available, and healing is for the whole person. And now we're going to talk about an environment of healing because that's what we believe the Lord wants us to become. An environment where the healing power of Jesus to touch us in all three dimensions of our lives is reaching broken people. <clears throat> the first thing I want to point your attention out of this passage that I think describes what a healing environment is, is that there's authentic authenticity and transparency. Now I got up this morning, I went to my closet and picked out a shirt and I was going to put it on I said, you know, that's just, that's just seriously ugly. <laughs> and, I, and I put it back on the rack. And uh, I started going through my, my limited uh, supply and I came across this one and I thought, well, you know, a couple of years ago somebody told me that looked good. So I, I got that out and I put it on. Why? Because I wanted to look my best this morning. Don't we? We all want to kind of present the best picture of ourselves. Uh, there's a, I, I suppose there's something good about that except that when it gets in the way of authenticity and transparency because then there's no healing that comes to me. When I ask you how you're doing and every time your default answer is fine, how do I ever know how to pray for you? How do I ever know how, what you're really going through? I, I've been a part of, I've led whole churches where there's like this cocoon around each one of us that we'd never break through because there's no authenticity or transparency. If there's going to be the flow of God's healing power, there has to be truth, there has to be honesty, there has to be real. And we have to be real with each other. You know what my default response is when people ask me how I'm doing now? This, I don't know where this came from. It doesn't even make any sense. But when I don't think about it, when people just say, how you doing? I say, pretty darn decent. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to have, I, I really want to change that. Amen. I know the, I know the, <laughs> I know the drive through person at McDonald's, they don't care. They don't, they want me to just say fine or whatever they, when they say how you doing. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to just make that my habit with you. I want to be real and honest with you. And so this passage starts out by saying, look, if you're, if you're struggling, let's pray. If you're rejoicing and going uh, through a real time of blessing, let's celebrate that. Let's sing songs. But let's be real. If you're in trouble, let's go to the elders of the church and let's ask for some, let's ask for some prayer. So authenticity and transparency. And by the way, this is not some sort of formula that's been given here for, for um, praying for the sick. Um, now there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if you want to lather somebody up with a bunch of oil, then that's great. But here's the thing. When you look at the healing ministry of Jesus, he never, he never, never approached people who needed his healing touch in the same way twice. So he, he was definitely making it clear there's not a formula here. This is not a formula. When you're sick or when you're broken or you're in pain, you're desperate. And what you want is to figure out how to get the combination just right so that you can unlock God's blessing, God's healing to you. And so, you know, sometimes our prayers are like, 
and nothing. And so we think, well, oh, I know. I forgot the oil. That's what it is. Now, now I, I'm, I'm making a little bit of a joke about this, and I really don't want to because there's something important about this, and I'll tell you what it is, but it's not because it's a formula. It's just, the, in the Bible, oil is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. And when I come to pray for you and I apply some oil to your body, you have a tangible sense of something that reminds you of the closeness of the Spirit of God. That's how close He is to me right now. It stirs faith, reminds me that there is a God in heaven bigger than what I'm dealing with right now and He can heal me. So it's important. I don't want to make too much light of it. But when we try to make a formula out of these things, we get into trouble. Oh, I know what it is. I forgot the elders. I need the elders. You know, the guy with the badge that says elder on it. Now look, it's important that the people who have walked a long time with Jesus and understand these things, that we call upon them and invite them to help us when we need prayer. But having a title is not the thing. So this is not a formula. You get my, my point? The point is that we are reaching out for help. That we're willing to become open, transparent, honest with one another. That's an environment where healing can be, the healing of God can be unleashed. The second thing I want you to, to see here is that a healing environment is full of grace and truth. That's why it talks here about the, the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And he, if he's committed sins, they will, be uh, they will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Right in the middle of all this talk about healing, there's this stuff about trespasses, confession, sin, that kind of stuff. Why is that? Is it because... God wants us to know that when we're not doing well, that when we're broken, that it's our fault. That's not the whole story, and that's not why this is here. There's stuff unleashed in this world that affects each one of us because of our corporate sin. It's not exactly tied to any particular thing that I've, I've done. So that's not what it's describing here. I'm going to get to what it, it, it's really talking about in just a second. But let me take you back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 14, where it says this. It says, it says, the Word, now when, it's used, when it uses that W-O-R-D, John has already made it clear he's talking about Jesus, the Son of God. It says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came, lived among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. That's the divine word for beauty. We saw, Jesus uh, came and inhabited human flesh and we saw his beauty. The beauty as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The thing that makes Jesus beautiful is that he is both grace and truth. We must have both. I thank God for the amazing grace of Jesus that covers my sin, that extends the love of God to me. 
But that is, if that's all I have, I don't have the whole gospel. If that's all I have, I don't have the whole picture of the beauty of Jesus. I also need for him to tell me the truth and I need to hear it. I need for him to be able to break through my denial, my excuses, and see my sin for what it is. Because otherwise, if I don't, his grace can't heal me. If I continue to insist that what I am doing and the lifestyle I'm leading and the thoughts that I have are acceptable, even right, even to be celebrated, I can never experience the healing of Jesus that his grace provides. I must have the whole picture of the beauty of Jesus. Now we aren't very good at, at portraying the grace and truth as individuals we don't know how to do grace and truth very well at the same time so we tend to swing to one extreme or the other where we just always talk about the forgiveness and the grace of God which is all true and it's really hard to over express or over describe or over celebrate the grace of God how could you even do that it's so magnificent but if we do that at the neglect of the truth we're missing something beautiful if we, on the other hand, we only talk about what stinking sinners we are, all we do is create guilt and shame. There's no answer for that because we, we aren't dealing with the grace of God. We need both. If we're going to be in an environment of healing, a place where people really, really, really get their brokenness taken care of, we've got to be people who embrace both grace and truth we need to be able to I need to be able to stare down the stuff that the sin in your life dear one that creates the, 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 the circumstances in which uh, brokenness have gained access to your life I need to be able to address that with you you need to be able to address that with me before God so that his grace can flow to bring healing. The last thing I want you to see is from this passage that I think describe an environment of healing that God wants for our church to be is that we are engaged in believing prayer. Believing prayer. Now look, I know that, uh, you know, just as a Christian who's been one for a long time that prayer is probably the toughest thing in fact, a very, very, very fruitful um, minister from another part of the world one time said about American Christians, he said, American Christians will do almost anything but pray. I'm not sure that's only true of Americans, but it certainly is true of us. It's hard work to pray. Partly because there's so much to pray for. It just buries you under, oh, wow, where do, I, where do I begin? You know, how do I get... How do I get a hold of the need that's in this world in prayer? It's, it's tough. But if we're unwilling to be people who go to bat for one another in, in believing prayer, then we're not going to see the flow of God's healing touch that we so desperately need, that people so desperately need. So we need to rethink this a little bit. Think about the example that we're given here. In verse 16 it finishes by saying the effective fervent 
prayer of a righteous man avails much. Those terms, effective and fervent, they mean something. They mean forceful and sustained. Effective and fervent. Forceful and sustained. And then he gives us an example. We didn't read it, but, and I won't, but it's talking about Elijah, a prophet in a day when God was bringing judgment on the people of Israel because they had turned away from him. And the way that that judgment came was in the form of a drought for many years. People were suffering. And God brought revival through the prophet Elijah and people were turning back to the Lord. And Elijah went to pray and ask God to bring an end to the drought. And you know, he didn't just throw up one of these Lord, please let this happen, kind of prayers. It says that he assumed a birthing position. He got his head between his, his knees and he pre pleaded with God and prayed to God that they would bring an end to this drought. And seven times he sent his servant to go check out the horizon to see if it looked like there was any clouds that would indicate that rain was coming. And the six times the the servant returned to say nothing, clear as a bell out there. But he returned to that posture of forceful and sustained praying. And on the seventh time, the servant came back and said, well, you know, there's a little puff of a cloud out there, about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, get up and run, because here it comes. And it started pouring rain. God brought an end to the drought. I'll be honest with you, engaging in that kind of forceful and sustained prayer is not an easy thing. It, it costs you something. But I'm going to ask you today to consider with me all over again that this is what we're called to do. Let's be people who are willing to get into the hole with those who are in need and stay with them until we're out. Let's pray with forcefulness and sustained passion before God. This is recording number 11262 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 4, 2017. This is the third message in a series titled, Our Vision. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Caring Place to Heal.